Thank you, Mr. League, and good afternoon, everyone. Greetings to all our brethren around the world. Looks like a beautiful Sabbath with uh, record attendance here, uh, almost near record attendance of 219, three more than Mr. League announced. We are living in the most exciting time in all human history. We're coming to the place where statesmen, scientists, and generals have said that unless human nature changes, the world is headed for total destruction. And I personally experienced that back in 1959 during the Cold War when all I could see on the horizon was nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I was depressed until God revealed to me through the World Tomorrow television, well, radio program that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to save the world. There must be a fundamental change in human nature if the world is to survive on its own. Does evolution offer a solution to this problem? Are humans evolving into a world of harmony, love, and eternal progress? Will the survival of the fittest preserve a remnant of human life? As I mentioned during the 1950s, we had the Cold War. And we had MAD, MAD, Mutual Assured Destruction. That meant that if the Soviet Union or the United States triggered a nuclear war, that would be the end of life on planet Earth. But let's face it, evolution does not offer a solution to this problem. Evolution is only descriptive in its theory. Evolution theory gives no prescriptions for world peace. The greatest anthropologists, the greatest scientists, the most popular evolutionists have not found a way to world peace. In fact, the Bible comments on man's failure to ensure world peace. You might turn there to Romans, the third chapter. Actually, the Apostle Paul is quoting here from Old Testament scriptures, but it is a profound truism in our day and age, as it was in Paul's day. Romans, the third chapter, and verse 17. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, implying that unless you have that awe and reverence of a creator God, you will not find the way to peace. I hope that you'll all read Dr. Meredith's article coming up in the September, October, Tomorrow's World magazine, Do You Fear God? He emphasizes the fundamental truth and even, and I would hope, that every atheist and agnostic will read that article. Mankind will not produce world peace. So what is the solution? World peace can only come through a powerful force, and that's the coming return of the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. In a previous sermon, we discussed major questions that evolution cannot answer. Traditional evolutionists and theistic evolutionists cannot answer these questions because they deny the total inspiration of the Bible. They reject divine revelation and therefore they are limited to material knowledge and they often err in even understanding material knowledge. Evolutionists cannot answer the more fundamental questions of life, the questions of future and the questions of reality. Let's turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Jesus expressed appreciation to his Father for an awesome truth. There are many brilliant individuals 
on the face of the earth. God has given them the gift of intellect. And yet many have misused those talents and abilities to produce horrific weapons of mass destruction. They've misused their intellect for fraud, deceit, personal gain, dictatorship. But here, God gives us the inspiration that it does not take an intellect to understand truth. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 25, Jesus said a quick prayer to his Father in heaven. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. And oh, how many wise and prudent we have around the world today who are writing books, again saying it is uh, intellectually wrong to think of of, uh, the Creator God, and all kinds of attacks against God in the Bible. You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. God has revealed truth. There are the steps in human science, the scientific method as it's called, and when it's properly applied, can give us understanding of material processes and scientific truth. And that is, one, is observation, two, experimentation, and three, human reasoning. And when that scientific method is used properly, we can have understanding. But there is one major element that is missing to understanding full truth. That limits us to material understanding and knowledge. And that is, mankind cannot understand all-encompassing truth apart from divine revelation. So in today's sermon, we'll briefly discuss the first six questions evolution cannot answer. That is, we'll review those that I covered in a previous sermon. And then we'll proceed to the next several questions as we have time for today. Today's uh, sermon is titled, Evolution or Revelation? This is part two in the two-part or three-part series. We'll see whether it's going to be two or three parts uh, by the time of the end of the services today. But I encourage you to review the previous sermon, Questions Evolution Cannot Answer. And because of time, I'll give only a brief summary to each of the first six questions. Question number one is, what is the meaning of life? Can evolutionists answer that question? Can you answer that question? Aldous Huxley, in his book, Ends and Means, page 270, said, For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. That is, they were free to have sexual perversion and sexual licentiousness, as he goes on to mention, that is my paraphrase. Evolution can only ascribe physical, material meaning to life. It cannot understand the true meaning, that the true meaning is a relationship with God. True living, true life far transcends the physical. The true meaning of life is inherently immersed in our relationship with God. Let's turn that, and you know that scripture, but let's read it. Mark 12 and verse 30. Mark 12 and verse 30. 
This is a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual law, which evolutionists deny. Mark 12 and verse 30. Jesus was asked, what is the first commandment? In verse 30, he answers, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Evolutionists cannot answer the question, what is the meaning of life? Question number two that we discussed, evolution cannot explain the purpose of life. The meaning is in the relationship. The purpose is why are we alive? Why were you born? Is our purpose to eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die? Well, of course not. God's purpose is to help us to be a part of his royal family. That's Ephesians 3, verse 14. Just an amazing revelation of the very purpose of life. Ephesians, the third chapter, starting with verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is producing a family. And the purpose of life is for us to be a part of his royal, immortal, glorified family. And we prepare by learning and practicing God's way of life and helping others throughout the world to face the truth and realities of the end time. Dr. Meredith wrote in his booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny, quote, God and his firstborn son, like a loving family, are preparing other sons to join with them in ruling this world and later the entire universe. Again, it's amazing as I read science magazines and all of these amazing creative ideas about parallel universes and how we can energize power to break through this universe into another universe. They've got all these wild ideas and even posit multiple dimensions beyond the third dimension, beyond the fourth dimension, a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth dimension, and still will not even think of the dimension that is the spiritual dimension. Just incredible. There is a purpose in life. Turn back to Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29. And here is our calling, process that all of us should be participating in wholeheartedly, unreservedly. Romans 8, and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated, for what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his Son, that is, to be like Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Christ, of course, is the firstborn among many brethren, which is a clue, a hint, an obvious revelation of how we are born into the kingdom of God. He is the firstborn of many brethren. And I may have reminded you of this before, but you can turn back to Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans 1 and verse 4, which shows us how we are born into the kingdom of God the same way Jesus was. Romans 1 verse 4, talking about Christ who was born the son of seed of David according to the flesh, 
Romans 1, 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. So we are born into the family of God. That is our purpose. That is our goal. It's like the Apostle Paul said, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And, of course, we want to be born into the kingdom of God when Christ returns. God's greatest masterpiece of creation is righteous, holy, godly character. You are the object of that creation. And we all need to cooperate with God as he creates in us that character. We have our part in it. I'll refer you to sermon number 129, God's masterpiece of creation. Question number two that evolution cannot answer is what is the purpose of life? Question number three evolution cannot answer is why the universe? The universe, to give a summary and an answer, is the environment for humans to learn about God and to grow in the very divine character of God. Further, the universe is the ultimate inheritance for human beings who will be born into the kingdom of God as immortalized, glorified children of God. I won't turn there, but I'll just quote it, Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We will inherit the universe. And it's just fascinating to see some of these scientists just express their awe of the universe and, and how some astronauts want to go on to the Earth, that is to go on to the moon and use that as a base to go out to the planet Mars, which would take two and a half years. Uh, and then, of course, if they get to Mars, take another two and a half years to return back from Mars. And do you think that you are invading space? When we're talking about millions of light years, distance far beyond the capabilities and limitations of human beings. But God has a solution to that. The universe is for human beings to inherit. And we can talk about that later if we have time in Hebrews, the second chapter, where Paul is saying that God's purpose was to put everything under man's feet, under his control, under his direction. But we see not yet everything put under his feet. And the word for all things in Hebrews 2, around verse 8 through 10, is tapanta, meaning the all, the universe, everything seen, everything unseen. So that is what God has ahead for us. Why the universe? It's there for the inheritance of God's children. Question number four, what is the origin of the universe? The famous astrophysicist Stephen Hawking, in a lecture on the beginning of time, Hawking stated this, quote, The universe has not existed forever. Rather, the universe and time itself had a beginning in the Big Bang about 15 billion years ago, end of quote. In other words, there was a beginning of the universe, and there was a beginning of time. Now, there are some uh, others who uh, deny that. They think that uh, the universe has existed forever. Uh, we'll comment on that a little later. Dr. 
Jeff Fall just had a commentary on our website, The Origins of the Universe, in which he describes, of course, the matter of radioactivity, that if the university had, if the universe had existed forever, all of the radioactivity would have ceased because of half-life, then if forever there would be no more radioactivity. So the universe has not existed forever. Again, I'll refer you to Dr. Fall's commentary on our website uh, that was just a few days ago, so you'll have to go into the library, commentary library, on origins of the universe by Dr. Jeff Fall. All we have to do is go to Genesis 1-1, and we realize God created all the heavens and the earth, and he created time for human beings. So God expects us to be good, planet, good stewards, stewards of planet Earth, our immediate environment where we learn to grow in godly character and his way of life. And, of course, the Sabbath is a memorial of God's creation. Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the simple answer to the origin of the universe, which evolutionists deny. Question number five is, what is the origin of natural law? Those natural laws existed right from the beginning of creation. And scientists admit that they had to be in effect right at the moment of creation. Theoretical physicists Stephen Hawking and Roger Penrose wrote, quote, The only way to have scientific theory is if the laws of physics hold everywhere, including at the beginning of the universe. And that's from Quantum Cosmology, The Nature of Time and Space, or Space and Time, page 40. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but one of our professors wrote a scientist one time and asked him about uh, this issue of the existence of natural law and where did it come from. And, of course, the scientist said that's a, a meaningless question. It was a meaningless question because an evolutionist can't answer it. Carl Sagan, in Broca's Brain, 1979, wrote, quote, and finally... A still more fundamental and exotic question, which many scientists would say is essentially untestable and therefore meaningless, why are the laws of nature the way they are? It's untestable, and so it's meaningless to scientists. No, it's not meaningless to those who want to understand reality and truth. God is the lawgiver. We might turn there, James 4, just to impress on your mind, I think we read this last time, but it's good to, again, underline some of these key scriptures that answer these fundamental and profound questions that evolution cannot answer. James, the fourth chapter, and verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, who are you to judge another? And of course, he talks about the Ten Commandments gives, uh, mentions the Ten Commandments earlier and talks about if you uh, transgress in one point, you transgress in all. There is physical, natural laws, and there are spiritual laws. There is one lawgiver. Evolution cannot answer what is the origin of natural law. Question number six that evolution cannot answer is what is the origin of of life. Evolutionists are trying to create life, 
And, of course, I read to you last time how they're working with a cell and trying to inject into that cell certain elements to try to recreate the process. But they also, of course, deny spiritual life. Bill Bryson, in his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, says this, for random events to produce even a single protein. Now, it's protein is the building block of life. The scientists all agree on that. For random events to produce even a single protein would seem to be a stunning improbability, like a whirlwind spinning through a junkyard and leaving behind a fully assembled jumble jet in the colorful simile of astronomer Fred Hoyle. So just the tiny littlest protein is impossible. And I don't think you can imagine a whirlwind going through a junkyard and leaving... Uh, behind a fully assembled jumbo jet. That's on page 289. He continues, quote, proteins can't exist without DNA, and DNA has no purpose without proteins. Are we to assume, then, that they arose simultaneously with the purpose of supporting each other? If so, wow. In other words, you have complex processes that are interdependent. And evolution cannot answer the question, how did this complex process evolve? And how did this complex uh, process evolve when they are interdependent and they can't exist without each other? They can't answer that question. The incredible action of RNA and DNA is graphically presented in a DVD titled Unlocking the Mysteries of Life. And again, I was just viewing it this morning. Just an incredible presentation of the animation and the complexity. There are thousands of proteins in a single cell. They cannot evolve by chance. Proteins, that is, need DNA. And the DNA gives them the replicating information of how to replicate. As Bryson said, they can't exist without each other. What is the origin of life? Let's turn back to Job, the 38th chapter. Job 38. And again, I, I just think of these evolutionists going through a Job experience. You just think of Job was there and, and God asked them these questions. And uh, just imagine some of these evolutionists and God says to them, as he did to Job, Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> well, I wasn't there. But God is. Tell me if you have understanding. You are so prominent in your intellectual vanity. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it, and to what were its foundations fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God are angelic beings. Of course, the Bible interprets the Bible. Revelation 1.20 uses the terminology of, of angels and stars. So God had created a spirit dimension even before there was an earth. Evolution cannot answer the question, what is the origin of life? 
Genesis 1 describes, of course, the creation of life forms. In Genesis 2.7, let's turn back there. Again, these are scriptures you all know, but this is truth that counters the godless, anti-God bias and bigotry that is pervading many of our institutions today. Genesis 2 and verse 7. And the eternal God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, or the King James became a living soul. Again, the Hebrew word is nephesh, the same word that is used earlier in chapter 1, referring to sea creatures and uh, mammals and other, uh, other animals. So, Evolution cannot answer the question, what is the origin of life? The first two chapters of the Bible answer that question. And further, evolution is ignorant of the greatest reality, the spirit world. It is ignorant of the abundant spiritual life that God intends for all human beings, as Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And then, of course, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Evolution cannot answer the question, what is the origin of life? And, of course, it denies not only the creator and life giver of physical life, but denies the life giver of spiritual life. So let's continue with a few more questions as we have time. And uh, there are many, many dozens and hundreds of questions evolution cannot answer because it denies the spiritual realm. But let's go on with another fundamental question. What is truth? Now, there is scientific truth, and those who are honest and uh, in their processes and objective uh, can understand physical and scientific truth. But what did Jesus say in John 8? You can turn there to John 8 and verse 32. He said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus himself tells us what truth is. He defines the dimension and its effects. Its effects have to do with peace of mind, with spiritual contentment, with spiritual understanding and knowledge. But how do we have that? He said in verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Sir John Eccles, a Nobel laureate in medicine and physiology, stated this, in terms of the limitations of science and truth. Quote, We need to discredit the belief held by many scientists that science will ultimately deliver the final truth about everything. <clears throat> there was a book back in, was it the 40s or the 50s, um, Science, the Messiah, something along that line, that uh, purported, just vir virtually, that science would solve all our problems. So, Sir John Eccles it says we need to discredit that belief that science will ultimately deliver the final truth about everything. 
Science doesn't deliver the truth. What it provides are hypotheses in attempt to get nearer to truth. But scientists must never claim to know more than that. The scientific concepts that we have are always going to be changed as science progresses. U.S. World News Report, December 10, 1984, page 80. Well, of course, we have to realize that there is scientific truth. There are absolutes. And yes, scientists will discover more. And that's what led uh, one evolutionist to change because he began to see that his evolutionary hypotheses were incorrect when he began to see the details of DNA and RNA. That's another story we'll get into later if I have time. Dean Kenyon uh, co-authored a fundamental book attempting to explain how amino acids form proteins by an evolutionary mechanism. In his book, 1969 book, The Biochemical Predestination was widely supported for years, for about 20 years. It was a best-selling textbook for chemical evolution. Its thesis was, quote, life might have been biochemically predestined by the properties of attraction that exist between its chemical parts, particularly between amino acids in proteins. He was co-authored, he co-authored this book, and it became a bestseller. And what he was saying is that life was predestined because these biochemical elements, the chemical parts, amino acids, would be attracting to each other. He later on had to realize that was a scientific error. That is not true. Amino acids do not attract to one another and therefore predestine life. He had to recant as an evolutionist. He later discovered the matter of DNA when science was developing uh, more knowledge and uh, the intricacies of RNA and DNA. And he later said, quote, we have not the slightest chance of a chemical evolutionary origin for even the simplest of cells. So this evolutionist whose textbook was used throughout the uh, higher education, he later repudiated and realized what he had taught was totally wrong. We have not the slightest chance of a chemical evolutionary origin for even the slightest, the simplest of cells, he said. And you can see that interview on the DVD I mentioned, Unlocking the Mystery of Life. The narrator says in that uh, DVD, by the end of the 1970s, most researchers had rejected the idea that the information necessary to build the first cell originated by chance alone. Because cells are so complex, it's incredible. Now, just as an interjection, uh, some scientists reject uh, contradictory forms of creationism. Why? Because some creationists say God created the earth 6,000 years ago, when all of the scientific evidence is to the contrary. Creationists say the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. They obviously deny the facts of true science. But the Bible and true science are always in harmony. The Bible agrees with the fact of a universe being billions of years old. 
And some of you know this, but some of you new timers may not. So let's take a look at Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. In the beginning, of course, in the King James, it says God created the heaven, but more correctly, in the New King James Version, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say when he did that. But now we go to verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Hebrew words for form and void are tohu and bohu. Now, if you hold your place there and turn back to Isaiah 45, we at one of our Tomorrow's World presentations had uh, an individual who... uh, seemed to agree with most of all that we taught, but he he just couldn't get past this whole idea of the earth only being 6,000 years old is what he believed in. I turned here to Isaiah 45 to show him. Now, do you believe this? Verse 18 of Isaiah 45. For thus says the Eternal, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain. The Hebrew word here is tohu, the same word in Genesis 1-2. Do you believe what God did? He did not create it in tohu, and yet verse 2 of Genesis 1 said it was tohu. So how do you explain that? Mr. Armstrong in uh, Mystery of the Ages, pages 75 and 76 Uh, brings out uh, this particular comment. From verse 2 of Genesis 1 on, the remainder of the first chapter of the Bible is not describing the original creation of the earth, but it is describing a renewing of the face of the earth after it had become waste and empty as a result of the sin of the angels. The earth had become waste and empty. God did not create it waste and empty or in a state of decay. God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. So if God did not create it in vain, then what? how do we explain that in verse 2? Verse 2 should read, The earth became without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So some indeterminate time, Billions of years ago, after the creation of the angels, after Lucifer and his angels were placed here on the earth, which you can read about in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, and the rebellion of the angels, between that time and verse 2, the earth became Tohu and Bohu. God did not create it Tohu, as it says in Isaiah 45 and verse 18. So how many thousands and maybe even millions of scientists who would understand that truth, reject, of course, creationism, which contradicts scientific evidence that the universe and the earth could be billions of years old. So again, the Bible agrees with true science and vice versa. Some have considered this question, quote, doesn't it then follow that God's people can use the tools of scientific inquiry within the framework of God's revelation to come to a far deeper and more accurate understanding of our world than can be had by materialistic science alone? Of course, the answer is a resounding yes. I referred earlier to 
those who felt that the uh, universe always existed. Uh, Dr. Fall writes in that uh, commentary, Origins of the Universe, quote, in the last decade, the Hubble telescope orbiting the Earth has brought dramatic, dramatic new evidence that the universe has not always existed. Very clearly, the universe is rapidly moving apart and is constantly expanding. Most scientists now believe that the universe virtually exploded into existence some 14 or more billion years ago. So what is the truth? Can evolution be true? Again, let me read to you, uh, I read to you from uh, Bill Bryson's matter about the complex pro processes that, that exist. In other words, there are many complex processes that are dependent on one another, and evolution cannot produce a rational paradigm explaining how each process occurs. What is truth? John 17, 17, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. What is truth? In my Living University class, Introductions to Biblical Doctrine, uh, one of our students, I assigned uh, that essay, What is Truth? And I'll uh, give an excerpt from one of the student paper. What is truth? This is an age-old question and was actually asked and answered in the Bible. In the book of John 18.38, the ruler of Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus Christ the question, What is truth? This was in response to the words of Christ in verse 37, You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. The Bible defines the answer to this question very succinctly. A few chapters earlier in John 17, 17, Christ prayed for the disciples and those who would follow after him. Your word is truth. The word of God is the recorded Bible. Thus the answer to Pilate's apparently rhetorical question was already answered. That answer is that scripture, given my inspiration of God, is truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, and the fear of God is the foundation of knowledge. I'll skip some of the paragraphs of his essay and just come to the conclusion. On the contrary, the present condition of the world takes for granted that in the pursuit of truth and the answer to what is man, evolution is the correct answer. That is, to the contrary. So man's truth has come to directly contradict the truth of the Bible. Christians are to live by the truth. Truthfulness is a commandment from God. When put to the test of the Bible, the world has taken to its bosom a damnable lie that man is an accident and life itself is meaningless in the greatest sense. The truth of God is far more comforting, and the mystery of the ages is clearly revealed through the true pages of the Bible. So what is truth? God's inspired scriptures in the Bible are truth. So again, I appreciate the uh, essays that our students submitted at Living University, and again, encourage those of you who are interested to sign up. We're still in the registration process uh, for the fall semester for Living University. So evolutionists cannot answer the question, what is truth? Question number eight, evolution cannot answer, is what is the spirit dimension? Turn in your Bibles to John 4 and verse 24. Here's the amazing truth. An evolutionist cannot answer these questions. Why? Because they deny the spirit world. 
They deny the spirit dimension. The most important reality is right here in John 4.24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit creation began before the physical creation. Turn in your Bible to Job 38 and verse 6. Job 38 and verse 6. God asked Job, to what were its foundations fashioned? As he asked him, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Sons of God are symbolic of angels, as it brings out in Revelation 1 in verse 20. So here is the spirit dimension, God's spiritual creation, long before the spiritual, that is, long before the physical creation. There is a reality that explains evil in the world. All of us know about Lucifer, who became Satan the devil. Turn to Revelation 12 and verse 9. Revelation 12 and verse 9 is one of the most amazing realities that exists. And we understand why the world is in the condition that it is. Revelation 12 and verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There is a spirit dimension that evolutionists deny. And yet we understand why there is so much deception, fraud, evil, wickedness in the world. Satan has deceived the whole world. A deceived person doesn't know that he's deceived. God also reveals the ways of the devil. In fact, the Tomorrow's World magazine, the September-October 2010 cover article is, Who is the Devil? So I hope that you'll read that article. God revealed to the Apostle John the spirit world. He even shared with the Apostle John a vision of the throne of God. I won't turn there, but it's very inspiring as you read the fourth chapter of Revelation. Here is the glory of God's throne with a sea of glass, with a rainbow, with a multitude of angels, with the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and the seven spirits before God's throne. So be sure to read Revelation, the fourth chapter. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Again, do you believe in evolution or revelation? 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, present progressive tense, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Evolutionists cannot answer the question, what is the spirit dimension? We do have a Tomorrow's World telecast, number 175, the spiritual dimension. There is an unseen spiritual dimension that proves the existence of God. Question number eight evolution cannot answer is, what is the spirit dimension? Another question that evolutionists cannot answer is, what is the human mind? What is the human mind? 
We've covered this before, but it's an incredible truth and one that gives us understanding of who we are, what we are, what human beings are. You know, people, uh, some anthropologists and uh, archaeologists uh, find bones of, of uh, human-like creatures that go back hundreds of thousands of years even. But the key of understanding whether those hominids had, were human created by God or were other creatures is answered in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. The key of it all, again, is the matter of what defines human mind. Evolutionists cannot answer that. As I've read several of their answers, well, thoughts, according to evolution, are produced by chemicals. It's the interacting of molecules and chemicals, and that produces thought. Really? Well, what does God say in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter? The Apostle Paul writes here, starting with uh, verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Man does not have an immortal soul, Man became a living soul. He became a nephesh, a living being. But he does have a human spirit. The spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So you have these dimensions. You have physical brain that animals have. They have the instinct, but they do not have the spirit of man, which again distinguishes human mind from physical brain. In our September-October 2010 Tomorrow's World magazine, we have an article by Wallace G. Smith titled Mystery of the Mind. I want to make sure you read that article. He writes in that, Research is beginning to demonstrate more clearly than ever that the human mind and free will are not mere illusions generated by the physical brain. That's what evolutionists would want you to think. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, How Thinking Can Change the Brain, January 19, 2007, Sharon Begley describes neurological studies performed on Tibetan Buddhist monks at the University of Wisconsin. Work on these monks indicate that over time, the structure of the brain can be changed merely by the act of thinking. The standard materialist worldview makes the claim that that is impossible because mind is supposed to be merely the effect and physical brain the cause. But studies are demonstrating that the reverse can also be the case. Far from the brain creating the mind, scientists are discovering that mind can change the brain. It is a two-way street, so what is going on? Are scientists really contradictory, uh, reaching contradictory conclusions? Animals do not have a human spirit. And as the fundamental truth that Mr. Armstrong wrote about, Mystery of the Ages, about the human mind, the human brain plus the human spirit produces human mind. And the greatest psychiatrists and psychologists in the, in the world don't know that. Some few do, like Dr. Robert Kuhn, who wrote extensively on the human brain and mind, and uh, Mr. Armstrong quoted from him, and he worked in conjunction with Mr. Armstrong's articles, 
Mr. Armstrong, uh, in his personal to the editor, from the editor, January 1970, quoted Dr. Robert Kuhn, quote, The brain is a computer, cries the materialist, pointing out parallel concepts in cybernetics and neurophysiology. Information in the brain is simply the presence or absence of an electrical chemical discharge. The presence-absence is precisely the same as the yes-no flip-flop of a computer. True enough, the brain is enormously more sophisticated in potential pathways and microcircuitry. There are upwards of 10,000 to 50,000 independent nerve cells in every cubic millimeter of cerebral cortex. Cubic millimeter, 10,000 to 50,000 independent nerve cells. 10 to 15 billion altogether, each nerve cell is able to receive simultaneous information from thousands of cells, integrating and then funneling this new information to many other cells. Consequently, the permutations and combinations of circuitry and sequences become astronomical. So in any way, did this happen by evolution? Dr. Kuhn Continues, but is human mind entirely the same as animal brain? That's the crucial question. And to find the answer, we submit this fundamental issue to the unbiased arbitration of brain research, in which he got his Ph.D. Representative mammalian brains, he writes, can be weighed in and in descending order. They are whale, elephant, dolphin, man, gorilla, chimpanzee, and rat. Comparative anatomical studies reveal a uniformity of distinct brain structures. Each structure is present in every brain, though their relative sizes vary. There is no qualitative difference among all the mammalian brains. How do you explain the output of the human mind versus animal brain? Dr. Kuhn concludes, mentally, of course, Man is unquestionably supreme, that's obvious, but he doesn't have the largest brain, and that's surprising. So again, the answer to the question is brought out here by the Apostle Paul, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? And then he goes on to the next dimension, which is even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And so there are billions of human beings who have human potential because they have the human spirit. But they lack the spirit of God. They are incomplete. And we see what the spirit of God can do for us and what it reveals to us. Verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That is, not by the physical senses, not by the natural processes of the human brain. But how? Verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Evolutionists cannot answer the question, what is the human mind? But you can Question number 10 is, what is reality? 
What is the greatest reality? What, how would you answer that question? I've given you that quote before from Mr. Herbert Armstrong years ago. He said, what is the greatest fact? In three words, God rules supreme. And when you think about that, it acknowledges the awesome reality of God, and it also acknowledges His control over the whole universe and everything. God rules supreme. That's an answer to the greatest reality. Let's turn back to Psalm 14 and verse 1 for those of you who still might be leaning towards evolutionary thought and uh, love. <laughs> Psalm 14. I don't think you want this to be said in, about you as uh, an atheist. You're not an atheist here. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Again, what is reality? When you deny the spirit dimension, the spirit world, you are denying reality. The greatest reality of all. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. We quoted again from uh, Huxley in his book, Ends and Means, who said, the idea, philosophy of meaninglessness led them to a realm of liberation. They were liberated from any moral code. They could do whatever they wanted to. In other words, they become as perverse as they wanted to, and yet they don't realize that there is a spiritual unseen law that says, he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That's, of course, in Galatians uh, 6, around verse 7. So questions evolution cannot answer. Question number 10, what is reality? Turn to uh, Psalm 53. Just to emphasize the point here that it's not only Psalm 14. Psalm 53 and verse 1. Oh, he says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And so again, you don't want to be labeled as a fool by God. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, Isaiah 40. It would be good for all agnostics and atheists and evolutionists to read this now. Oh, they'll face it in the future. They can either face it now or face it in the future. Verse 15 of Isaiah 40. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Now, wait a minute. You think about all the nations, their power, military power, spending billions of dollars on nuclear weapons, on missiles, on fighter aircraft, and on even biochemical weapons of mass destruction. But God says, if you take a bucket of water, you empty the bucket, 
and then one little drop falls out, and God says the nations are as a drop in a bucket compared to his power and his control, and are counted as the small dust in the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. And who to whom will you liken God? And, of course, he says he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Verse 22. So God knows all of the names of the astro bodies. And it says he gives power to the weak, verse 29. And that's where we come in and claim those promises. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to quote that scripture quite regularly. In his book, Closer to Truth, Challenging Current Belief, uh, Dr. Robert L. Kuhn, under Strange Physics of the Mind, writes on page 49, The theories are fascinating, if not convincing. Is consciousness a fundamental essence of the universe, the real stuff of reality? Again, evolution cannot answer the question, what is reality? He continues, the easier answer. Easy answer is nice, but no. But could matter and mind both be derived from the same fundamental stuff, whatever that may be? I think we'll be astonished by whatever sits as the ultimate building block of reality. We should be more astonished that human beings can even conceive of it. It's dreaming like this that transports us closer to truth. And of course, Closer to Truth is the title of his book and the title of his television series. So question number 10 that evolution cannot answer is, what is reality? And we again summarize the answer to that question, that God rules supreme. Question number 11, is there intelligence evident throughout the universe that is greater than the human mind? Evolutionists look at their own minds and they misuse their intelligence and they think that their minds are the ultimate development of evolution. Well, let's consider that viewpoint for a moment. If the greatest intelligence discerned by man is his own intelligence through evolution, then we ought to find out who is the most intelligent. Who on earth has evolved the greatest brain? Anyone want to volunteer? Doesn't that lead into the materialist view of genetic breeding? We all know of one evil application of that thinking. The philosophy of Adolf Hitler and others which led to the Holocaust to the idea of breeding a superior race. The idea of selective breeding for intelligence also carries with it a different corollary. And that was illustrated by Aldous Huxley in his novel, Brave New World. He depicted a society in which people were bred on the basis of intelligence. In Huxley's world, the majority of the people were bred not to be super intelligent, but rather to be strong and complacent with just enough intelligence to do their jobs well and be happy at it so they could be productive and hard workers more easily controlled by the intelligent bred ruling class. So the point in Huxley's Brave New World, the same philosophy that would breed a superior race 
could also lead people to want to breed slave races as equally a repugnant notion. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But again, this kind of intelligence that is supported by evolution leads to wrong behaviors and disasters as we saw in the Holocaust in World War II. One famous author envisioned the human mind evolving to greater intelligence. He's a Jesuit, uh, he was a Jesuit theologian and a French philosopher. His name was Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. He died in 1955. He wrote a book titled The Phenomenon of Man. In an introduction by Sir Julian Huxley, he quotes, quote, for the reason he uses terms like new genesis to mean the gradual evolution of mind or mental prop properties and repeat repeatedly stresses that we should no longer speak of, co of a cosmology but of a cosmogenesis. Now, you're really getting this, aren't you? This is uh, similarly... Uh, Huxley is talking about Chardin's book. Similarly, he likes to use a pregnant term like hominization to denote the process by which the original proto-human stock became and is still becoming more truly human, the process by which potential man realized more and more his possibilities. Teilhard didn't live long enough to read the book on human possibilities, is my comment. So, again... He thinks that the mind it keeps evolving until human beings are going to become greater and greater and greater. He talked about their potential. And I hope that Mr. Teilhard de Chardin, when he's resurrected, will read Mr. Armstrong's book, The Incredible Human Potential. But Teilhard and his followers would learn truth uh, rather than speculation and limited human knowledge we wish that they had. So God gave humans intellect, not evolution. God even inspired Daniel to predict the knowledge explosion. In Daniel, the 12th chapter, in verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So again, what is the greatest intelligence in the universe. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians 3, and I've had to deal with individuals who had this intellectual vanity. And how do you help people with that kind of arrogance and self-importance and vanity? Well, remember what David said in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how love I your law. Your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. And if you're having a conflict with an intellectual and you're a little confused, all you need to do is go back to the commandments of God, which are the absolutes and the reality of what is truth and what is wisdom and what is God's loving way of life. And you can figure out the fallacies. First Corinthians, the third chapter and verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seem to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. 
And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So God warns those who are intellectually vain, you ought to become a fool and learn real truth and real wisdom. But let's understand some highly intelligent, rational human beings observe various religions and their paganism and their superstition, and as a result, they reject all religion, even the true religion of the Creator God. They ought to read Dr. Meredith's booklet on Satan's counterfeit Christianity. But again, uh, let's understand that God has given human beings intelligence, and if those who are converted, as I have seen, uh, use their intellect to God's honor and glory that help others to come closer to truth and to the kingdom of God. The Privileged Planet Conclusion, page 335, recognizes as Einstein did in infinite intelligence revealed through the creation. Speaking of SETI, and, and this is, again, I have to personally marvel. SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And uh, all of us have found the extraterrestrial intelligence. It isn't the, it's right there close to you as you just get on your knees. You don't have to put up all these... Uh, radio t telemetry uh, dishes to try to get codes from outer space. God is the greatest intelligence, and he calls human intelligence, those who misuse it, that they need to humble themselves and admit their problem. Speaking of SETI, the authors conclude on page 335, The Privileged Planet, in reality we have found no such signal, that is, from outer space. And yet, as we stand gazing at the heavens beyond our little oasis, we gaze not into a meaningless abyss, but into a wondrous arena commensurate with our capacity for discovery. Perhaps we have also been staring past a cosmic signal for more significant than any mere, far more significant than any mere sequence of numbers, a signal revealing a universe so skillfully drafted for life and discovery that it seems to whisper of an extraterrestrial intelligence immeasurably more vast, more ancient, more magnificent than anything we've been willing to expect or imagine. So anyway, there are those who understand as they look at science and look at the universe that, yes, the Earth is unique in its position in the galaxy, quite opposite to Carl Sagan's comments when he said, that we are just in a insignificant place in the galaxy. Have any scientists recognized great intelligence in the universe? Albert Einstein wrote that the scientist, quote, religious feeling takes the form of a rapturous amazement at the harmony of natural law, which reveals an intelligence of such superiority that compared with it, all the systematic thinking and acting of human beings is an utterly insignificant reflection, end of quote. Einstein saw this magnificent realm of natural laws 
And he saw within that intelligence far beyond human intelligence. That's from Einstein, a centenary volume from Harvard University Press, 1979, page 305. The greatest mind in the universe is that of the Creator. He has even given humans who submit to Him and love Him understanding and revelation that infinitely surpasses limited material knowledge. One last question. I think we have time for question number 12. Questions evolution cannot answer. What is the future of the world? Let's turn to Isaiah 46 and verse 8. Isaiah 46 and verse 8. God has revealed the future to His servants, to His people. The whole Bible is filled with prophecies, and we've commented on that, written about it in our magazine and talked about it on our telecast. Isaiah 68, I'm sorry, Isaiah 46 and verse 8. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. Let's turn to Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation 1. Evolutionists can't predict the future. You know the future. I know the future. Because God has revealed it to you. Which are you going to choose? Evolution or revelation? Revelation, the first chapter. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So God has revealed not only the future, but the purpose of the future. And that purpose is for us to be born into God's family. And the booklet, the Holy Days, God's Master Plan, outlined through the annual festivals, what God's plan is for all humanity. And it's an awesome purpose and an awesome, wonderful goal that all of us have been given to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. We briefly discussed 12 questions evolution cannot answer, but there are many more dozens of questions and hundreds of questions evolution cannot answer. Why? Because evolutionists deny revealed truth. Let's turn to Romans, the first chapter. We've read this before, but certainly to answer the question, would you choose evolution or revelation? Romans 1, and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They not only reject the truth, they suppress the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse." 
And of course, it says their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. Verse 22, they became fools. Which will you believe in, evolution or revelation? Sir to Colossians, the first chapter, Colossians 1. And again, how thankful, brethren, we ought to be for the priceless truth that we have. It does not make us any better, but it gives us a great responsibility for understanding the reality and the purpose of God and the plan of God for all humanity, that every human being on the face of the earth will have a genuine opportunity for salvation. Those who are not called now, those who are blinded spiritually now, will have their opportunity in the white throne judgment. Colossians 1, starting with uh, verse 24. Colossians 1 and verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. God has given you evidence. He's given you proofs of his existence. Again, you want to read the real God, proofs and promises. We heard in the sermonette about the teen Bible study that discussed those proofs uh, last Saturday night. We've been called to fulfill the great commission that God has given us. Many of the world have embraced evolution and rejected revelation. Deschardins Imagine human beings continuing to evolve. This is how he described man's evolution, as summarized by Sir Julian Huxley. Quote, Indeed, he, Deschardins, extends the evolutionary terminology by employing terms like ultra-hominization to denote the deducible future stage of the process in which man will have so far transcended himself as to demand some new appellation. Deschardins is saying that man is going to improve so much, he'll be such a different person, we'll have to give him a new name. Well, here is the new name. I'm going to tell Deschardins, if he were here, turn to 1 John 3. What is that name that human beings should apply for and strive for? Well, they don't really need to strive for it as a relationship because God gives us that if we repent and are baptized and are given the Holy Spirit. First John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Now that's what I would tell Deschardins. That's the new appellation. That's who you are. That's what we are. That's what we've been called to become in a relationship with God, the children of God. All human beings are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're now under judgment. But God is calling individuals to understand and to understand the truth and to turn away from vanity and foolishness. As Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's turn to one final scripture in Luke, the 12th chapter. Luke 12. Jesus said that 
he prayed to the Father and he said, Thank you, Father, that you've not revealed these things to the wise and prudent, but you've revealed them unto babes. God has given us the treasures of truth, incredible understanding. As we read in 1 Corinthians 2.9, that eye has not seen and ear has not hear, had heard, but God has revealed the deeper things unto those who love him. Here in Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 48, and Jesus said, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripe shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, he will ask the more. So God has given us much responsibility, great understanding of his truth. Thank God that we understand that we can choose between evolution and revelation, and that we can understand who we are, what we are, what our calling is, what our ultimate destiny is. So thank God for that truth and fulfill your responsibility to whom much is given, much is required.